Howdy, friend, and welcome to the Old Hat Podcast. This is James Chambliss, your host for the Old Hat Podcast. This is episode number 13 of the podcast, and I'm glad you're here for it. Episode 13. You gotta like that. It is, of course, brought to you by coffee. This morning was Sumatran beans, uh, hand ground. I had a little extra time this morning, so I, I went ahead and ground the beans by hand instead of in the little electric grinder. It's been a busy week around here. What about where you are? Yeah, so this morning I was not as busy, although I didn't get as much sleep as I wanted. I decided I wanted a really good cup of coffee, and so I got my hand grinder out and put it together, and then I uh, hand ground the beans. So 330 cranks is what, uh, that's how strong the coffee was this morning. A little extra. Usually 300 cranks will do me. This morning it had to be 330 cranks. 10% more cranks this morning. So if I'm a little crankier than usual, folks, it's not the lack of sleep, it's the extra cranks. Also brought to you by school being out. I know it's not out everywhere, but gosh, it should be, shouldn't it? It is here. I don't think anybody's still in session, and uh, the teachers are not off for the summer, remember? They're in recovery. That's a totally different deal. All of my teacher friends have been putting up screen captures from their cell phones with all of their alarms turned off for the summer. Y'all, that's a very tired but very happy group to have made it to the summer again. <laughs> Be nice to teachers all summer. Bless their heart. They're, they're recovering from a hard year. Of course, school being out means that graduation has passed. Congratulations to the class of 2019, especially if you're part of it. I'm proud of you. You did a good job. Now it's on to the next step. Just keep doing right things and you'll keep going good places. Keep that up. Today's episode is number 13, so obviously the show has to be brought to you by the number 13, like Sesame Street, right? Brought to you by coffee and the number 13. Oh, 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 oh. You know your Sesame Street, right? <laughs> the Count would love the number 13. I like the number 13. Some people think it's unlucky, but that's nonsense because I was born on the 13th. A 13th, not the 13th, but still it was, it was a great day for me and you're here listening. So it couldn't have been that bad for you either. Some people really get uh, wound up about the number 13 though. It's such a common fear. It has its own name. What is the name of that fear of the number 13? Trisc mm, Triscodeca Triscodecophobia? Triscodectophobia? Trisconectophobia? It's somewhere in there, y'all. It's fear. I have a fear of mispronouncing the f official name of the fear of the number 13, but I don't have fear of the number 13, but it's, it's common though. Uh, in, in fact, if you ever fly into Dallas, there's two airports, there's DFW airport, which is the big one. And then there's the older, smaller airport, Dallas love field. And at Dallas love field there, there's one terminal and it's got 14 gates, except there's no number 13. So it goes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 14. Y'all. You know what gate number 14 is? Exactly. It's gate number 13. <laughs> so if you're superstitious about that, then you're flying out of the 13th gate, no matter what they call it. Me, I'm not superstitious. I'm just stitious, kind of commonly stitious, I guess. Uh, but, you know, if you go to a big hotel, you don't have to come to Texas for this. You can go to any hotel. I've traveled all over this country and found it to be true. You stay in a hotel or get in a building that's got 30 floors, there's probably not a 13 on the elevator panel. But you know what that means about the 14th floor? You got it. That's the 13th floor. So is it unlucky? Is it just the name that's unlucky? Or is it actually being the 13th floor that's unlucky? 
We don't know. It's been my experience that good luck comes to those who work the hardest. You know, the people that are most prepared for the test have the best luck in passing it. Have you noticed that? The better the better prepared you are for life, the luckier you're going to get. So what about bad luck? Do you believe in bad luck? I don't know if I do or not. I talk about it sometimes. Uh, I occasionally am known to say that uh, I'd rather be lucky than good, but I'm not sure what that even means because I'm not a big believer in luck because I'm a big believer in, you know, preparation and taking care of your business. But sometimes things happen to you and you go, oh man, that's just bad luck. There was nothing I could do to prevent that. That's just bad luck. I had the bad luck of losing my favorite hat one time. It was a ball cap, not a cowboy hat. I was a young man and and I, I went canoeing on the Buffalo River. And the Buffalo River is the last great untamed river in America. It uh, There's no dam on it. It's completely free running or absolutely bone dry, depending on what time of year you go. It's not managed. It's a, it's a kind of a national reserve. It's a national river and it's a, it's a beautiful place. It, it runs clear and cold out of an area of the Ozarks in Arkansas called the Boston Mountains. And right near Boxley, Arkansas, if you get off the road far enough, there's a big pool that is so clear you can see all the way to the bottom. And in the middle of August, that water's probably 50 degrees coming out of the mountain. It's so cold and just beautiful. And from there, it flows down. And uh, that part, really, they in fact, it may even be illegal to canoe up there, which didn't stop us. But um, the thing you have to watch for up there is it moves really fast. And there's a lot of trees hanging over the river. And so you would think you would lose a hat there, right? With the willow tree grabbing your hat off your head. But no, I made it through there. But when you get past the first part, you end up, uh, you go past Ponca. And so between Ponca and Pruitt, Arkansas is where most people do their canoeing. But after Ponca is where Gray Rock is. And it is an obstacle to say the very least. It's a, it's a, I think they're class two rapids through there, which basically means if you're not careful, you can lose your hat. (laughs) they actually sell shirts that say I survived gray rock on the Buffalo river. And I did, but my hat did not. Uh, of course, you know, you can call that bad luck, but the river was flooded at the time. So probably the smart people weren't there canoeing (laughs) people like me that were probably deserved to lose a hat and probably ought to be lucky, uh, consider themselves lucky that that's all they lost. Cause we dumped a canoe right beside gray rock and, my hat wasn't all we lost, and we're lucky we came out with the canoe and ourselves intact to survive the rest of the ride. But it was a great hat, man. It was the perfect fit. It was my favorite color, and it and it was enigmatic. Nobody really knew what it meant, right? It's not like wearing a John Deere ball cap where everybody knows what that means, right? It's green, and it's got a deer on it. It means you like their tractors. Uh, it sure doesn't mean they gave you the hat. John Deere doesn't give away anything. <laughs> I always said I want a daughter that marries the John Deere dealer's son because then we'll never worry again about money because that's where all mine goes, right? But no, this one uh, this one just said Curtis on the front. C-U-R-T-I-S-S in a lovely script. Just Curtis, a brown script on a brown and tan hat. Man, it was it was great. It was I love this hat. And nobody knew what it meant except me. <laughs> I never ran into anybody that knew what it meant, which is probably best. But it's uh, I'm going to tell you so now you can be uh, amused just like I am about the story. But I guess first I ought to say that, you know, this is a family show, but uh, 
man, some of the facts of life do come up when you're in your family environment, right? So we're not going to be racy. We're not going to, but you know, I'm a cowboy and, you know, mainly we're in charge of cows and horses and dogs. And, you know, the whole purpose is to increase your herd. And there are some facts that go along with that. And we will allude to some of those in a very um, traditional and family friendly, hopefully way. But, you know, the boys are going to snicker. That's just the way this is going to work, right? So my favorite ball cap, it said Curtis on the front. So who was Curtis? Well, Curtis was a prize breeding bull in Wise County in Texas, and he was famous. He was he was the perfect specimen of his particular breed. There's a lot of different breeds of cattle, right? Just like dogs. There's so many different kinds of dogs. Poodles and border collies and pit bulls and you name it. There's uh, Yorkies and what are those big dogs that look like wolves? Well, wolves, of course. <laughs> Siberian Huskies and Malamutes. That's it. So there's all different kinds, right? And so if you say, I have a dog, everybody wants to know, yeah, well, what kind of dog do you have? Because if you say um, Yorkie, they're going to go, oh, yap, yap dog, right? Or if you say, I've got a German Shepherd, they go, ooh, those scare me. So everybody, you know, and it's the same in cattle breeds. There's a lot of different kinds and people in the cattle business have an opinion about every one of those breeds. Some of them they love, some of them they hate, but everybody's got an opinion and they've all got certain characteristics that are well known. And so I thought I'd tell you a little bit about that. That will help with the story and maybe some stories in the future too. There's way more than I'm going to mention. I promise this is not an exhaustive list. Hopefully it's not an exhausting list, but you've probably seen the black and white cows on the Chick-fil-A commercials. Uh, those are Holsteins. They're dairy cows. I don't even know why they are on the chicken, except people are used to seeing black and white cows. Those are Holsteins. They give a lot of milk. Uh, Jersey cows are also dairy cows. They're brown. You've Elsie, if you remember Elsie, <laughs> Elsie was a, a Jersey cow. And they're, they're the sweetest cows, easy to get along with. And the meanest animal on the planet is a Jersey bull. Those things just don't get along with anybody. Uh, so watch out for those. If you buy groceries, you're probably familiar with Black Angus steaks, or if you eat out at a steakhouse, they'll go, hey, this is Black Angus, and they'll charge you extra for that. And what that means about Black Angus is the Black Angus Association has the best marketing department. There's really not, and you know what? People will fight with you about the fact that Black Angus is better than non-Black Angus beef, but I'm telling you, if you laid them out side by side after they'd been dressed, most people couldn't pick out which it's it's steak or it's ground beef. It really doesn't matter what color the cow was. The black coat doesn't change anything. In fact, I'll tell you something funny. The USDA is the one that, that writes the regulations for things like what gets labeled. So if you wanted to call something black Angus beef and sell it to the grocery stores or to the steakhouses, well, you have to follow the USDA guidelines about what Angus is. Well, if you're a cowboy, you know exactly what an Angus is. It's a it's kind of short cow. It's got a lot of muscles uh, and it hates fences and loves to be on the highway. And most of them are black, but there's a bunch of them that are red. That's Angus cattle, y'all. But according to the USDA's regulations to be sold as black Angus beef, the pelt of the cow has to be 50 percent black or more. So it doesn't. So, y'all, Holstein cows could be considered black Angus. And I promise you're not getting uh, steaks from a Holstein. It, 
just can't hardly happen, I'm sure. But a Holstein can be considered Black Angus for the purpose of the USDA regulations. So your tax dollars at work right there. And you may have noticed I'm not a big fan of Black Angus because they get out of pastures all the time. Those are the fence climbingest cows you ever saw. We had one years ago, a little Black Angus uh, cow and Man, it just didn't matter what you did. We had five wire barbed wire fences, new barbed wire, T-post close together. I mean, we'd done everything. We kept everything else in, but this one cow just would not stay. She'd climb out. So we bought something called stays, which are twisted pieces of metal that, that go, you just wind them and wind them and screw them down onto the fences in it. And it goes down all five of the Fences in it, it keeps you from bending them apart, right? The ideal being you can't squeeze through. And you and I couldn't squeeze through. But this little 900-pound cow, man, like walking through a shower curtains. She just goes straight through. And I watched her do it. I mean, it just nothing would stop this crazy cow. So I talked to one of the old men in the neighborhood and told him the trouble I was having. And he said, oh, you just need to why that cow. I'm sorry, I need what? You need to why that cow. Why that cow didn't make any sense to me. And so I asked to explain it. And what you do is you look around until you find um, a branch, a tree branch that's shaped like a Y. And so it's got, um, you know, just the letter Y. And so it's got three, three branches going out in different directions. And you put it under the cow's uh, neck so that, you know, one of the bottom of the Y, the leg of the Y sticks down and then the arms of the Y go up in the air. And then you put bailing wire on the top two portions behind her neck so that it hangs on her like she's wearing some sort of collar or a yoke. And what happens was she still thinks she can go through the fence. And so she runs up to the fence and she hits it moving fast enough to go through it. But this tree branch catches at the top and the bottom and she can't push the whole fence down. And you know, it broke her that habit. Y'all talk to old cowboys. They're full of good advice. They're full of other things too, but they're also full of good advice because that one worked. There's also Simmental, and I uh, spent a couple years having Simmental bulls with my herds. Now, my herds were never purebred anything. You know, there, there are people that have mutts and people that have purebred dogs. There are people that have mutt cows and people that have purebred cows, except they don't call them mutt cows. They call them crossbreds or F1 crosses if they're kind of a high dollar. If they really favor one or the other of the things they were crossed with, they might be an F1 Brimmer cross, which is how you say Brahma in Texas. You say Brimmer. I don't know why. I don't make the rules up. But if you go out to the sale barn and say, I'm here to buy some Brahma cows, they will not know what you're talking about. But if you go in there and go, hey, are there any Brimmers for sale? They go, oh, yeah, lot number seven's got some heifers in it. <laughs> or there's some F1 crosses, some F1 Brimmer crosses that Old Hat brought in to sell. That's what you'll find there. Uh, the tallest cow I've ever seen in my life is a Kianina. Look it up if you can figure out how to spell that. It's a cow out of Italy, and it's like a giraffe. It's the tallest cow I've ever seen. Uh, Charlet, if you drive down and you see cows in Texas, you'll see it from time to time. Big pasture full of cows that are all kind of silver gray. Those are Charlets. They're beautiful. The birth weight on the calves is huge, though, so that's a problem. I know you don't care about that, but it is, so I'm telling you. <laughs> and there's limousines. I think the one of the worst wrecks I've ever had in my life involved a black limousine bull. Again, that hide was 100% black, so he's he could be uh, sold as Black Angus, I guess, in beef 
uh, beef steak form or ground beef form anyway. Anybody looking at it would go, that's not an Angus, that's a limousine. They're also red limousines. And then there's beef masters, which I always love a good beef master bull because they throw tiny calves with a lot of extra skin. They grow really fast. So that's what you want, right? You want a low birth weight calf that grows really quick. That's perfect. And the beef master is good for that. And then, of course, there's Herefords. That's the one most people are probably the most familiar with. It's the red and white with the fuzzy head. That's a Hereford cow. You've probably seen a million of them driving by pastures. There's a bunch of them out there. But the way they continue to have purebred cows is they pick out the very best bull in that particular breed. And then they pick out the very best heifers in that particular breed and they get them together to do what they do naturally and to make babies out of the best bulls and the best heifers. And that's how they get more cows in that breed. And it's it's a way of selective breeding so that you get the very best qualities and you pass them down. Well, what usually happens is you end up with a lot of people with heifers, but not very many people with high quality bulls. Y'all, Curtis was the primo quality bull. He was the best one of his breed. And the guy that uh, owned him would offer him out uh, for his breeding services. Family show, right? So breeding services. Mom and dad, y'all can talk to the kids about that if you want to. And so if you owned a bunch of heifers, why, you might call the fellow that owned Curtis and negotiate a deal. And he'd say, well, how many heifers? And he'd go, well, it's X number of times per heifer. And then you'd agree on it. And he would drive over in his uh, trailer, truck and trailer, with Curtis in the back, ready to go to work. Well, it was a great deal. And, and the guy had a lot of hats made. He gave them out to the people that uh, that hired Curtis for his services. And uh, But one day... Uh, he uh, drove up to a place and they had their prize heifers in the corral there by the barn. And at the, it's kind of a tall corral, but at the top of it, he had a, a row of electric fencing. Then that keeps the cows from jumping out because they get up there and get their nose on it and go, oh no, I think I'll stay here. Well, they run Curtis off in the corral with these prize heifers and he's, uh, he's doing his job, right? He's a, he's a very anxious to get to work. <laughs> Well, the heifers are kind of shy. They're not sure that uh, they like this fellow that much. And uh, um, one of them runs out from under Curtis. And Curtis, in his passion, runs up on the top rail of that corral fence. And uh, y'all, I'm sorry. I don't know what else to say here. Got his tallywhacker in the electric fence. And he made a very loud squalling sound like you've never heard. <laughs> and needless to say, uh, it uh, it was a shocking experience for Curtis, and uh, and it it ruined that whole day for him. In fact, it ruined his career uh, because he decided that it was the heifers that had caused that problem, and he never went with <laughs> he never they never could get him to go back to work again because he was convinced that was what had caused his problems. So the fellow that owned this prize bull that wouldn't work for a living now had all these useless hats. And I ended up getting one of them. And I didn't live in uh, Wise County where Curtis was famous. I lived in Dallas County and nobody there knew who Curtis was. And so uh, that's my Curtis hat story. But the last time I remember wearing that hat before I went on that canoe trip where I lost it, uh, I had stopped at a house fire. I was just a civilian driving by and there was smoke pouring out of a house. And what do you do? You look, right? There was one fire truck there and two guys, two firemen, 
And one was working at the engine and the other one was an old man, y'all. And he was on the porch shooting water out of a hose into the front door of the building that was on fire. And this hose was whipping him left and right and up and down. And it looked like it just might beat him to death. And so I pulled over and ran up there and jumped in behind the guy. And he just yelled, thank you. And uh, and then something about going in the house. And I wasn't interested in going in a burning house at all. But, you know, I guess I was going to follow this guy wherever he went. Uh, but a bunch of other firemen showed up about then. And, and they're all, of course, they're all wearing bunker gear. That's what firemen wear, the the protective clothing, the big thick pants that are fireproof and the big reinforced boots and the coat that's fireproof and the helmet on their head. And of course, I'm there and I'm wearing blue jeans and boots and a Curtis cap and a t-shirt running around trying to help these guys. And one of the guys that shows up, a fireman, is a guy that was a year older than me in high school. And so I'm just kind of hanging out watching at this point. And, uh, the chief shows up, who I happen to know, and he tells him he wants a hole in the roof. And so my friend Johnny and another guy go straight up a ladder onto the roof with an axe. And I had no idea why they wanted a hole in the roof. Johnny's up there swinging, wearing all this protective gear, which now I know weighs about 80 pounds back at the day. I don't know what it weighs now, but back then it weighed about 80 pounds. Well, Johnny passed out and it turns out it was from heat. But, you know, I just shot up the ladder to help my friend. And uh, we got his coat open, and he was awake and talking, but he was just exhausted. And so I pick up the axe and whack a hole in the roof like I know what I'm doing. And we get a hole in the roof, and we slide the axe off, and then we carry Johnny down the ladder. And I just tried to make myself useful that day, whatever needed doing. And they finally got the fire out, and we're standing around. I'm in the group, right? I've been there fighting this whole fire. I feel like I'm part of a team now. And we're all standing around and talking about what had happened and that's where I learned why they ventilate a roof. If you've ever seen the movie Backdraft or watch a TV show, I don't watch any of those. But uh, where they have a fire and then it, the you know it builds up heat and then flashes, they have a backdraft. Well, the ventilation is what helps prevent that from happening. It's not a hundred percent, but it it helps a lot. So that's what that was about. But then after they're through talking about it, the chief looks at me. And now I told you he's known me for a while, four or five years he's known me. So all through high school he knew me. He looked at me and he said, James Harold, you don't belong here. Now, let me just tell you, if you call me James Harold, I will pay attention because I grew up thinking that that was my name, that it was one word. The first time a teacher said, James, James, I didn't know who she was talking about. James Harold was my name growing up. This man knew that and he called me James Harold. So he had my complete and undivided attention. He said, James Harold, you don't belong here. Now, I'm grateful for your willingness, but your ignorance could have gotten you or one of these good men killed. And I'm not mad at you, and I don't mean to embarrass you, but one of the things you're going to have to learn how to do is to back out of something you shouldn't be doing. And I remember standing there with that Curtis hat in my hands trying to decide whether I was mad or whether I was embarrassed. But you know what? He was right. And I ended up getting the training I needed to be helpful. I should have walked away from that first fire, though, even though Lou and Ken were stretched so thin, even though Johnny passed out on the roof. You know, I was helpful to that day to all of them, but I was probably an inch or two away from disaster all day long, and I kind of knew that. You know, when you're somewhere you shouldn't be, you need to find a way to back out of it. It might go okay if you keep on, but it might lead to a bigger disaster, too. Now, I trust you to make that decision for yourself. You know best what you can do and can't do and should do and shouldn't do. But my advice is don't waste too much time doing the wrong things. 
you know, sometimes that happens, though. You find yourself in that situation and you're in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. It's kind of like digging a hole for yourself. The first thing to do, stop digging. <laughs> and then take an assessment. You know, are you are there some right things you should be doing that you're not doing? Well, you need to do those. Are there some wrong things you shouldn't be doing that you are doing? Stop doing those. Because I have to tell you, if you're doing the right things and you're not doing the wrong things, y'all, that's a pretty good place to be. And, you know, you can stand there in that and go, I am doing all of the good things and I'm not doing any of the bad things. I'm going to stand here and do my job. That's a good place to be. And I will tell you, if you'll do that, it will really be true that the best is yet to come. This is Old Hat signing off for episode 13 of the Old Hat podcast. I'm sure glad you're here. Thanks for listening.